4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This week we've been talking about let's make a difference. And really we're saying let's let God work through us in order for us to help others, make a difference in others. I remember the first time I came here and uh, they came up and we had opening revival. Richard Harper was the preacher. And I swore that somebody had told Richard Harper all my sins before I came here. And I was like, how in the world could he know everything about me? And I never even met the man. And uh, they would get up just like they've done here every night. They would give this thing of an offering, a message before the offering. That is new to me. I, I've grown up in church, but that never heard anything like that. So the Lord started convicting me. Well, some of you know that I own my own flooring company. And so I was, well, I'd say it this way, I was well-to-do. I had a stash. How many know what a stash is, all right? That's like your little, your honey hole, your little money that you're going to take, and you know what? You'll get through a little while because you got your stash. Well, God says, you're not going to take a stash. I said, well, I want to take a stash. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't know what I'm going to do down there. We're from Chicago. Coming to Lattimore is like going on a mission field. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like when there's more sheep than people, that's a problem, all right? And so I, I had my stash, but by the time I got to Lattimore, the stash was gone. I mean, we broke down with the rental truck, and there was some kind of problem. The rental truck, people wanted more. And so we came to open revival, not knowing what was about to happen. And they got up and said, hey, we want you to give. And I thought to myself, I ain't got no money to give. And they're like, hey, pray about it. So I was like, I could pray about it, but there ain't no money there, so it don't really matter. So the Lord laid on my heart, hey, I want you to give whatever you get this week. I said, all right, Lord. Now remember, the stash is gone. I got three kids. I don't even have enough money right now to pay my rent. That's a bad way to start, I'll just say. It. So the mail came on Thursday. My wife's like, hey, 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 we got a check for $600. I'm like, praise God, that is the first month's rent. It's 550 bucks. That gives us 50 bucks to enjoy Little Caesars, amen? <laughs> and it's like God said, uh, but wait a minute, that's mine. I was like, oh, <laughs> no. And I tell you what. I was right there. I, it was God working through me. And I was struggling, young people. I mean, like struggling, struggling. Because I didn't have the money to pay rent, and it was due like three weeks later. And so, you know how it goes. They preach again Friday morning. And they're like, you need to give something the offering plate. I'm like, oh, no. And then Friday night comes. So, you know, I do what every good backslidden Christian does. Kind of puts it in the envelope but doesn't sign the bottom of it just in case the Lord changes his mind and he doesn't want you to give it. Friday night I gave it. I'm like, okay, Lord, this is you. I told it. You said you sent it, so it's yours. You know, it's amazing what God can do. Next following week you know rent's due in two weeks i got a lick of money i don't get paid from the school for another couple weeks 
this is not looking good. It was Callie's turn to pray. Dinner time, we rotated through the kids and she prayed and said, Lord, we need some money. I love when five-year-olds pray. <laughs> no flowery, you know you're talking about in prayer with me? Like, no, nothing flowery, just like stating the facts. God, we need some money because we need to pay a rent. Now, we didn't tell our kids all of our problems, okay? So don't think they're five and you're like, yeah, just small stuff, okay? We just need some financial means to pay the rent. Man, we got a phone call right after she prayed. Pick up the phone, man, it's someone back home. They say, hey, how is it down in North Carolina? It's August, it's always hot and humid. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> And they're like, well, we've been thinking about you. And uh, we want to know if we can take care of your rent. That had been awesome for one month. And I gave 600 bucks and it was 550 bucks. Two months would have been really cool. Three months, phenomenal. Four months, can't believe it. But young people, can I tell you, for the first nine months, I never paid one rent bill. Pretty good investment. $5,000, 600 bucks. You see, young people, I learned a long time ago, you can't outgive God. Money's nothing to God. Now he's called us to be good stewards, okay? Don't waste money. Don't be foolish. But when God says to give it, man, let it go. He's not in a recession. He's not dealing with Biden's nomics. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> he's got it. But in order to make a difference... God's got to work through you in order for you to make a difference in others. We come to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Brother Clark, thank you so much for this morning. Man, I tell you what, so great practical truth of the place we can learn from. Oh, I would say the one thing that I've learned through being gone from this place is that the different places the Lord has allowed me to experience, can I say it that way? They've been stepping stones for where God wants me to be. I've not always liked it. I'd like to get up here and look like I'm super spiritual and say I didn't complain about it, but I'd be lying to you. But the truth is, each time God's brought me to a different place, He's had something for me to learn, something to experience so that I could make a difference in the lives of others. 1 Timothy chapter 4, though, we come upon the pages of Scripture where Paul, the mentor, has a disciple, a mentee named Timothy. Now, we know that Paul is not uh, Timothy is not Paul's biological son. We know that. 
okay? But we could say that he is his spiritual son. He's one that was a follower, a disciple of the apostle. Understand, back in the Bible day, when you were a follower, you were a disciple, you were literally in their back pocket. You, you lived with them. You, you ate with them. You, you, you observed. You listened. You, you did everything with them. That was a very common practice. Even in the later times of the first century where Plato and Socrates, they would be followers or disciples of those, and they would literally just wander with them, and they would follow their leading and their instruction. Well, Timothy was that to Paul. Paul had this young man that he was investing in. And I believe you, when you get to the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you get some writings of a man that wanted to instill some truths that he knew that if he could figure it out, it would help him tremendously. I know in my own life, I'm, I'm that type of learner. I'm like a kinetic learner. I, I, I like seeing how things work. If you, if you show me how something works, I feel like I can, I'm, I've got a better uh, ability to address it and fix it. If I, if I don't understand how it works, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I don't get it. I, I tell my, my girls, uh, uh, they're my IT department. You say, well, that's just because you're old. It is. Okay, I'll agree with you. All right. I just turned 50 on Friday and I feel like, man, I want to be able to do it, but I just can't seem to get the flight credit on my plane, all right? And so I just called my daughter and said, hey, baby, would you, would you go ahead and do that for dad, okay? Because somehow you touch the button and it works. I touch the button, it doesn't work. <laughs> and so there's things that, hey, we, we struggle with and, and, and I can't seem to figure out how it works and but Paul was saying, hey, I, I want to teach you. I want to invest in you. I want to mentor you because I believe if you understand how it works, you can fix this. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look what your Bible says in verse number one. First Timothy chapter four, verse number one. Look what your Bible says. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. I want to stop for a second. In evangelism for us, it's not every evangelist, okay? I'm telling you our family experience. We're an every two-year evangelist. You say, what's that mean? Well, if you look at my even-year schedule, it will look like two years away even-year schedule, all right? So the even years look like the even years. The odd years Look like the odd years, okay? You say, that's why I say we're about two years, all right? Because every other year, we're pretty much at the same place. Now, not 100%. Some fall off, some add, okay? But for the most part, it's every other year we go back to the church, whatever year it is. Well, with that contact, we get to know people. Matter of fact, I've been in some of your churches here that are represented, okay? You have seen me maybe at your church or maybe at a camp or whatever because camp kind of rolled the same way for us. And so every other year, we're, we're there. Well, the awesome part about that is, is you get to know people. You get to see people become to Christ and you get to see people discipled. You get to see people grow. And boy, it's really great. It's, we love it. The downside is when we go back, 
maybe the second time, maybe the third time, and we say something like this. Hey, where's so-and-so? Like last time I heard, they were like a human sponge. They couldn't get enough. We were giving it and they wanted more. They were just soaking it up from every different angle. They could get it. Where'd they go? And here's what we often see. The pastor will bow his head and say they're not here anymore. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes it's because maybe there's a job transfer, okay? Those aren't the ones that are disappointing. The ones that are disappointing are the ones that decided, watch this, to become distant from God. Did you notice in this verse... He's talking to believers. Look what your Bible says. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Stop. In order to depart from the faith, class, you must have been at the faith. You can't say that, hey, I left chapel on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock if you weren't at chapel. You didn't depart from chapel if you didn't come to chapel, okay? So in order to depart from the faith, you must have been at the faith. And tonight, I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, Why We Become Distant from God. How does it happen? How does it work? How is it that at one time they were on fire for God and they were soaking it all up and now they have distanced themselves from God? Well, Paul in this portion of scripture gives us four reasons. He wants to teach Timothy so that he understands how it often happens in our life. Before we get started, can we ask God to give us a hand? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this place. And Lord, in the next few moments that I have with these dear friends of mine, would we not look left? Would we not look right? Would we not look before us or behind us? But Lord, would we get real with you? And Lord, would you show us where we are? with you. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you're going to do in the invitation time. In Jesus, my precious Savior's name, amen. Let me give you the first one. Look what your Bible says as we look at the four reasons why we become distant from God. Look what your Bible says in verse number one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter, notice this word, times, some shall depart from the faith. Well, I believe that what Paul was teaching us is the first reason why so many times in our lives we can become, notice this, distant from God is because number one, time. And you say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, the idea that Paul gives us in this word, times, in verse number one, is really, can I say it this way? Life. I appreciate Brother Clark being here this week. He could have very easily said, you know what? 
I'm not going to do it this week. I'm not done with radiation. And I'm I just not going to do it. But he's made a choice. Hey, can I tell you? That's your Christian life. It's a choice. It's a choice I got to make. By the way, it's not a choice your mama's going to make for you. It's not going to be a choice your daddy's going to make for you. It's you. It's a choice about what happens through life. And Brother Jeremiah, I'll tell you, the truth is, sometimes the choices that I've experienced aren't choices I like. They're not. Brother Clark did a wonderful job of teaching us this morning how that the place that God has you, He's got a lesson for you to learn. And many times in life, there's places that we go and places that we have to go to that we don't like. Nobody likes the phone call that says, hey, someone you love has cancer. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes the phone call as I received just on New Year's Day that a pastor about 20 miles from me, his wife passed away in a car wreck on New Year's Eve. Nobody likes that phone call. Nobody does. But can I tell you? It happens. In every one case of properly responding to life, I can give you 10 cases where because of life, they become distant from God. Well, my relationship with my spouse. Well, my relationship with my children. Well, my relationship with uh, my finances are going down. Well, because of this illness, because of this loss, because of these things in my life. Listen, because of these things, here's what's going to happen. I am going to become distant from God. Now notice, notice. He's writing to us. See, what are you talking about? Look at verse number six. If thou put the, what's the next word, class? Now, you all are smart enough. At least you look like it. When Paul uses the word brethren, he's not talking about the lost world. The lost world is distant from God. He's talking about us. And here's our problem. Here's our problem. We're okay with our distance because we understand our position. You say, what are you talking about? Well, according to Romans chapter 5, when you got saved, you got justified. You know what that means? That in the heavenly Father's sight, God looks at you and you are declared not guilty and as righteous as Jesus Christ. Positionally. You know what? We're good. We're good with that. And because we're good with that, watch, we don't care about the distance. Brother Bill, I'm going to heaven July 25th, 1985 at 1030 at night. 
I crawled out of my bed on a Sunday night. My daddy was on the phone. I had my Snoopy, my peanuts comforter on my bed. I can remember it as it was yesterday. I started crying. My dad came to the bedside and said, son, what's wrong? I said, daddy, if I died, I'm going to split hell wide open. He said, why is that? Because I've been trusting in your righteousness and you being a minister and mom being a preacher's wife that that would get me to heaven. But on that night, I realized my sin was going to drag me down to hell and I was going to spend eternity in a lake of fire forever at the age of 11. I get it. I've grown up in a preacher's home and heard the gospel every single Sunday. But on that day, (laughs) I got saved. God changed me. God justified me. But though positionally, I'm as righteous as Jesus, practically, Jake's wicked. You know what I find? Many times we become distant because we're okay with our position. And we're also okay with our distance. And what has to happen is you got to understand your position and your practice need to line up. They need to Come side by side. Hey, that's why he says so often in the text, hey, be ye holy. Because you're not. And sometimes we come to Bible school and hey, we're the cream of the crop. Hey, we're homeschoolers. What's that got to do with anything? I don't know. But anyways. <laughs> hey, we, we, we won the memory, memory verse competition. Hey, I've been the most... Faithful Sunday school member in a lifetime. You're 12. But the truth is, because of our position, maybe we're evangelist kids, maybe we're missionaries kids, maybe we're preachers kids, maybe we've gone to a Christian school because of our position. Get it? Our distance can be far from God and we're all right. Can I tell you? Life. Sometimes life comes at us. We don't even know how. We don't know where. We don't know why. And here's what happens. We start drifting away. Keep your finger here and go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Look what your Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed. Oh, I love the phraseology that that means. You know what that means? Hey, pay attention. Like for all you hunters, that means you're going to have your ears open. You're going to be eyes are open. Man, you're looking everywhere. Why? Because that big buck's coming. You, you're ready You're ready to mount her. You're ready to put her above the fireplace. You're ready to get that prize buck. I mean, it's coming. You're all paying attention. You're not snoozing. You're not looking on your phone at that time. Man, the adrenaline's pumping. 
You're trying to keep calm. You're trying to do breathing exercises, okay? Ladies, I don't know what it means for you, okay? But I'm just telling you what it means for us guys. But the truth is, give earnest heed. Pay attention. To what? Look what he says. To the things which ye have heard. Why? Lest at any time we should let them, what's the word, class? Well, I'm okay. I mean, honestly, I'm an ambassador. I know that this phrase has been used here. It's probably been years since it started. The easiest place to backslide is Bible college. Why is that? Because we stop giving heed. We have it up here. But watch. It doesn't change your life till it gets here. You know what the problem is? There's not a professor. There's not a parent. There's not a pastor that can get it from here to here. Matter of fact, all these preachers that are in this room, we wish we could flip your switch. We wish we could. You know why? Sunday morning, we would make sure you're all on. We would have revival. I mean, if everyone was like, oh, I'm going to listen to God's word and whatever God's word says, that's what I'm going to do, man. Praise God. I'm going to draw close to God today. If that was the desire, can I tell you this? Ambassador would be building again. We couldn't hold the people. But we can't flip people's switches. Churches would be building auditoriums like a crazy rate because we couldn't hold the people. We'd be renting out stadiums. Want to know why we're not? We got too many people that are okay with their distance from God because of their position with God. Number two. Go back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, notice this next phrase, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All right, so number one, we said times, or we say it this way, life sometimes brings it. But number two, the second reason why we find ourselves sometimes distant from God. I mean, one time we were serving the Lord. One time, Brother Beal, we, were, we didn't have to fill out our CSRs and like lie about them. We really wanted to do them. It's not only because of time, but number two, because we're listening to the wrong crowd. Now, I want to stop for a second. There is nobody that thinks, you know what? I'm listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Like, I haven't met a person yet. Brother Clark, I don't know if you've ever met anyone. I've never met a teenager. And I, I go around the country and preach teen camp all across America. And I've never had someone come up to me and say, you know what? I listen to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, man. I'm cool. I've never had anyone say that to me. Now, maybe there are, because there's some weird people out there, okay? But they've never told me that, okay? 
So, who are those people? Remember, we're not talking to the lost crowd. Right? Like, I know we don't like even talking about this. So, who's doing that among us? Can I tell you? Anything that is not the word. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. We are influenced by people, by things we read, books, by music. That's a huge thing in your generation, okay? That's why music is important. By things we watch and things we do. So when I say listening to the wrong crowd, Dr. Love, I'm not just saying, oh, you're, you're, you've decided to listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil, right? Because I don't think too many of you here tonight probably listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil, okay? If you do, you're old, okay? That's the only people who do that anymore. But the truth is you don't listen to Dr. Phil and Oprah. So you're like, I'm good, I'm good, no problem. Here's what I find, though. You know what, sometimes I'm the wrong crowd. Now, ladies, I am not the guy you want to watch Hallmark with. Because I've determined the Lord's given me a spiritual gift. Here it is. To debunk all humanistic philosophies during Hallmark. I, I feel like it's my gift from the Lord. So, you know, Christmas. Oh, my. I got four girls. Oh, my. Guess what they like to watch? Hallmark. But when dad comes around, they're like, dad, please. I'm like, oh, no. We're going at it. It's me versus Hallmark. And let me tell you, I get into it. Why? Because all they are are humanistic reasoning. And it gets under my skin. And I can't stand it. Why are you going to follow your heart? Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And like, Dad, we know that, but it makes for a great movie. <laughs> but honestly, listen, sometimes, watch, we're the wrong crowd. Because as much as we laugh at that and we make fun of it, can I tell you, we do it. Can I tell you, when you stop listening to truth, Here's what's going to happen. The only other option is human reasoning. It's the only other option, okay? So you got truth or you got human reasoning. Now watch. Human reasoning will always make you distant from God because it's the opposite of God because I'm wicked. 
So if I'm just gonna do based on what I think I should do, okay, that's humanism at its finest, then I am going to oppose what he wants me to do. Because what I want to do and what he wants me to do are usually two different things. If you don't believe me, that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The spirit lusted at the, the flesh and the flesh after the spirit. We're going to look at that tomorrow, okay? But they don't get along. It's like the offensive line and the defensive line. Nobody says, hey, let's just shake and have truce, all right? Let's eat turkey together. Okay, that's not how it works, okay? One hates the other. One's trying to get through the other, okay? It's never going to get along. They're never going to get along. The offensive line is always going to try and hold back the defensive line. The defensive line is going to try to plow through the offensive line. It's always going to be that way. I get that. When I listen to the wrong crowd, here's what it does to me. It makes me more defiant against God. Why did I do that? That wasn't a good move. Look, that didn't work. And God says, hey, my way works. And be honest with you, I travel the country and I do family seminars. And when we get to parenting, let me tell you, it is crazy what's out there. And I tell parents, listen, listen. You're trying to parent your children the way you were brought up. Doesn't always work right. Why? Because your parents were sinners. But when you start doing what the Word of God says, guess what? It works! It works! It's crazy, I know. It works! Now, every child has a will. I get it, I get it. But it works! But guess what? You have to listen to the right crowd. If not, you'll become distant. Number three. Look what your Bible says in verse number two. It says, Now the Spirit speaks, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from thee, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devils. Number two, of speaking lies in hypocrisies. All right, we said the third reason why Paul teaches us here that some become distant, even though they, one time they were close. One time they had a sweet, intimate relationship with the Lord, but now they become distant. Number three, because they were fake. Now the word hypocrisy in our text here has the idea of a mask. Now, back in Paul's day, if you went to the theater, I said it that way because that's how my girls say it. The theater... They would hold a stick and it would have a mask on it. And they would portray, Antonio, this individual that's on the mask. Might have been a cat. Might have been a dog. Nobody there thought that that person was a dog. Now today, it's a different story. No, it's just her. <laughs> but back then, it was a mask. It wasn't really like, Ooh, I think they really are a dog. Even though they have hands and feet and they look like a human. No, no, you knew it. It was just a mask. And they were trying to portray this individual 
that they were not. Can I tell you? It's here. Some of you in this room, you wear a mask. Here's the problem with wearing a mask. It's not you. By the way, that's why you like wearing it. You want other people to think you're someone who you're not. Can I tell you, that won't get you any closer to heaven. I tell my kids this all the time. I, I, I tell them this. I said, guys, you can choose to be like the world. You can. Matter of fact, I tell my kids, because you're evangelist kids, you got like huge targets on you. Devil wants to take you out. You can do that. You can totally do that, okay? You can choose to partake of whatever sin you want to partake of. You're old enough. You're sneaky enough. You're smart enough. You could do it. You could do it. But remember this. I'm not the one that blesses you. I don't have the financial means to write you a check for a million bucks so you can live happily ever after. I don't have that. I don't have the ability to give you health, good health, the rest of your life. I don't have that ability. But can I tell you, there is a God in heaven that loves to bless his obedient children. So you can sneak around and you can be a fake. You can. You can totally do that. But can I tell you this? You're just robbing yourself of the blessings God wants to get to you. Now watch. That's real life stuff, folks. Because every one of you that live here at, at Ambassador, get it. You can sneak off. There's plenty that have. Okay? There's plenty that have. You can think you can get away with it. You can be the fake. You can but can I tell you, you'll never get close to the Lord being a fake. Let me give you number four. Look what your Bible says in verse number two. He says this, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Number four, we said number one, time. Number two, listening to the wrong crowd. Number three, many times being a fake. But number four, callousing to sin. Being calloused to sin. Growing up, I, I did carpeting growing up. I, uh, I've been doing it a long time. My daddy brought me my first job and cut my thumb at the age of five. My dad loved it. My mom hated it. So if you look on my left hand, you'll see there's a scar. I don't look like Brother Beal, but I do have a scar, okay? 32 stitches, 16 in, 16 out, all right? And that's from age five. That was a long time ago, okay? And so I cut my thumb with my carpet knife, and, and uh, I started doing carpet jobs. I would use this thing called a seam iron. Maybe some of you have seen it before, all right? It's an iron that heats up to about 500 degrees, all right? And then you, you put this hot melt glue, strip tape, it's called seam tape, underneath the two pieces, and you start this bad girl up, and you, you just kind of let her 
simmer and sit on top of that tape and it gets hot and it melts that and you put the thing together. It's called a seam. And so many years I did that, many years. I got out of that later in life and went to trade school and did hard surface more than carpeting. But back then I did that. And crazy thing is, is that the top of my seam iron would say cool top. Well, there's nothing about 500 degrees that's cool. Now it said cool top, but it wasn't cool. And so what would happen is I would be paying attention to my left hand. Why do you pay attention to your left hand? Because that is the hand that I'm putting the seam together. And my right hand would be dragging behind. And I invariably would always take this finger right here and I would touch that cool top that wasn't cool. And so to this day, to this day, if you touch this fingertip on my right hand and this fingertip, they are callous. That means this, I have no feeling in them. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how much. So about a year ago, Brother Beale said that I have helped pastors across America. I was helping a pastor and uh, I was putting tile in their foyer while I was at the meeting. And so one of the guys was bringing, I just started first box of tile. Had my hand down on the floor and this guy, Brother Clark, dropped the box of tile on my hand. Like first box. And it, it left a blood blister on this finger and this finger. They said, did you scream? I didn't. That's the crazy part. Say, why didn't you scream? Because they're calloused. I didn't feel it. You know what I find? That's us. When you sin and 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 sin, get this, and don't get right. I'm not one of these people that believe in sinless perfection. That's hogwash, okay? I'll just ask your roommate. But the truth is, listen, when we go with unconfessed sin time and time and time and time and time and time again, can I tell you what it does? It does this. Makes us calloused. It hardens the surface so it doesn't hurt. Now, there was effects of it hurting. Why? Because there were two blood blisters on each finger after he dropped the box of tile on my fingers. But there was no pain because it was callous. Did you see what he says here? Look at verse number two. He says, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Get that, get that. When we sin continuously and we go and we live in the world of unthankfulness and we live in the world of unforgiveness and we live in the world of lusting and we live in the world of this sin that seems to be consuming our lives and we never get to the place where we cry out to God and say, God, I need your mercy and your grace in my life. God, I don't deserve this, but God, would you forgive me? Guess what happens? We become distant from God. 
Matter of fact, Dr. Comfort, here's what I find about those people. They're usually the most critical of others. Oh, did you see so-and-so? They got a problem. Hey, last time I checked, you got a problem. Why don't you stop being the Holy Spirit police and just let the Holy Spirit does what he does best? He's been doing it for much longer than you. And what happens is we go and we go and we go and we go and we go. And, and, and can I tell you, some of it is because we get so busy. I think one of the greatest tools that the devil has used on us as God's children is this, busyness. Now, there's nothing wrong. It's not a sin to be busy. I'm a busy guy, you could probably tell. I like being busy. Matter of fact, I'm mopey when I'm not busy. But the truth is, listen, sometimes that busyness gets us distracted from getting right. And before long, here's what our Christian life looks like. We'll go after chapel message, after chapel message, after chapel message, after chapel message, after chapel message. Watch this. And we will not respond to him. Sad, isn't it? Why would we ever want to become like that? 1986. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There was a political convention that was about to happen. But love might have been there. Might have been there. And during that time frame, the sanitary department of Philadelphia wanted to go on strike. So they said, we're going to make a statement while the convention is in Philly. So they went on strike. Oh, there was trash everywhere. So someone came up with the bright idea. We're going to get this boat called the Pelican. And we're going to park it in the harbor. And we're going to load it up with trash. So city workers that weren't even in the sanitary department were putting trash on this boat. Now, this boat was a huge boat, 466 feet long. Time had passed, time had passed, time had passed. Now, get this. And the Pelican became the most unwanted boat in the world. Can I tell you why? Did you know how many pounds of trash were on the boat? Get this. 28 million pounds of trash. Guess what happened? <laughs> Go figure. It became toxic. You think taking out the trash, not taking the trash out for three weeks is bad? Hmm. 28 million pounds of trash is really bad. But you know what they thought? Oh, this is a great idea. We won't deal with it. 
We'll just put it over here. And 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 before long, can I tell you? It's toxic. Nobody wanted it. Who wants to say, yeah, bring your trash to us. We love that. Great idea. Get it, get it. Spiritually, that's what we do. I'll put it on the pelican. It'll be fine. Just as long as it's out of sight and I don't have to deal with it right now, I'll be fine. I'll get over it. It'll be fine tomorrow. You know all it does is it piles up, it piles up, and it piles up, and get this, it becomes toxic in your life. Life becomes toxic. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. You know how you resolve it? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, get this, it's so good. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great God we serve. Hey, you're distant. I get it. Can I tell you? It happens more than just you. It happens to a preacher that's been in evangelism for 17 years. It happens to staff and faculty people. It happens to all of us. You know the difference is? Those that get right. Matthew Henry said it the best. He said, people are ruined not by doing what is a missed mistake, but by doing it 